Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Yo, technology, what is it all about? Most people think that drug running or, you know, selling guns is the biggest criminal enterprise that you can find in the world. Cyber dwarfs all of them and maybe all combined. Welcome back to Danny in the Valley. We have a great show for you today. Orion Hindawi is here. Orion is the founder, uh, along with his father, of Tanium, a cybersecurity unicorn. Orion has got a very interesting story. He's been doing security startups since he was 17 years old. He's now the ripe old age of 37. He's a billionaire. Tanium is now worth $3.7 billion and is growing like Topsy. So in the wake of Equifax, I thought it'd be really good to speak with Orion. Um, we talk about why there are so many massive breaches just like that one and why there will be so many more, where data is more insecure than ever. We get into kind of Tanium's story, how they started and where they've got to, and we even get into a bit of scandal. Earlier this year, Tanium was accused of having a toxic culture, which at the heart of it had this thing apparently called Orion's List, which was a list of executives who were getting close to the date where their stock options would vest. And before they could get to that date, Hindawi, allegedly, would have them fired, thus keeping the ownership group small and his control of the company more tight. Anyhow, I asked him about that about the ugly side of Silicon Valley culture and why everyone, including you, should do two-factor authentication unless you want all of your data stolen. So stay tuned. Uh, it's a fun one. Here's Orion. I mean, if you'd asked me five years ago, I probably would have told you that companies need to take this way more seriously, that there were still lots of companies where when we would talk to them, they would explain that security was not their top priority and that they were more worried about something else. I haven't heard that in the last couple of years. I mean, basically every board that I talk to wants to talk about security until I can't talk anymore. And we're seeing it across the CEOs and you know other chiefs in these companies all the way down through the IT stack. Everybody in a funny way is probably even more terrified than they should be. Like it's gotten to a hysteria level where People are not making clear decisions sometimes. So I think we don't have that problem anymore. I don't think that regulation in and of itself can solve this. And the reason is what regulators can do with the regulation is penalize companies who are not taking something seriously enough. I think they're already there. I think the real problem is tooling. You know, if you look at why a lot of these companies are being breached, it's because 
basic hygiene, basic stuff they were supposed to do, like patching and multi-factor and disk encryption. And for the listeners who don't know how these things work, these are kind of the basic table stakes of security. The problem is that a lot of those technologies are 20 years old. They don't really work in a really large environment anymore today. Our industry has been trying to replace those with things that do work in 2017. And I don't think we're replacing them fast enough. And as a result of that, there are gaps in a lot of these companies' portfolios and how they can deal with security. And so we're rushing to fill as many of them as we can. And I think it's just an incongruity between the actual challenge that they have, which is securing hundreds of thousands or millions of assets that are moving constantly and that are moving to cloud and that are being virtualized and doing all these you know, really interesting and very useful things with tools that haven't caught up yet. Do you think what is going to be required for there to be a sea changer, if there is going to be one, that there will have to be some Equifax-like event? It's almost weekly now you hear about another company that's been breached. Right. I, I mean, that's how you know it's not going to be another event, because we've had one last week and we'll have one next week. And yeah. I mean, the reality is I don't think any given event, no matter how bad it is, is going to change the fundamental landscape at this point. I have a Yahoo account, which I use to just buy stuff. So all the spam ends up going there. Yep. And I saw that there was a breach and I didn't, I don't really care. And then I was doing a security story and I went to a company and they asked for my account and it's kind of a parlor trick, but within five minutes they told me my password. Yeah. Because they were all sold or available anyway. I think what most people don't really understand is that if you look at cyber and you look at theft of data through cyber means, most people think that drug running or you know, selling guns is the biggest criminal enterprise that you can find in the world. Cyber dwarfs all of them and maybe all combined. And there's so um, much based money. Based on what metric? On money? Dollars, yeah. I mean, if you can sell healthcare records and you can sell them for tens of dollars per record and you can steal hundreds of thousands or millions of them, that's a really good business. And if you look at cryptocurrency, you look at all the stuff that people are starting to be able to take money out of by having cyber events around them, there's just a lot of incentive for people to get good at this. I mean, we've got nations who are essentially funding their liquidity at this point because we've got sanctions on them through cyber, which is incredible. I mean, North Korea is getting a lot of their money at this point, people say, through cyber. And do you see that through your products out in the market? So, I mean, if you look at our customer base, we've got the majority of the Fortune 100 using our stuff. We get to see one lens into it. Uh, most of my customers are not storing Bitcoin on their networks. Most of them are storing other stuff. But yeah, we see it because we talk to our, our peers. And you just hear these stories over and over again about data that was stolen that people thought was either not that interesting and became really interesting because somebody was able to parlay it into something that they weren't expecting or that they knew was interesting that they thought was really secure that it turned out was not that secure. I mean, we still have friendly countries that are joining their really sensitive networks to the internet and losing stuff. I mean, that's what we're learning, right? It's kind of like food poisoning in restaurants. It's hard to keep every counter pristine. Yeah. And once in a while, we end up with a pretty nasty event. That restaurant analogy is interesting. In LA, you go around and you see the big A in the window or B or F or yep. whatever. If there's a fail, a big F in the window, you don't want to eat there. You don't eat there. Yep. I mean, that would be an incentive, would it not? Online saying, this, this company is a D. Yep. Stay away. We're spending a lot of time with our customers, helping them understand how they're doing relative to their peers. So if you look at 
you know, large banks, global banks, we've got 12 of the top 15 who are using Tanium. And what that means is I have a good statistical sample to tell a bank how they're doing relative to their peers. Many of them are very interested in that for two reasons. One is they love to, you know, feel like they're doing something really well. And the other one is if they know that they're in the 10th percentile, they need to improve it dramatically because they're way behind. One of the fallacies in security is it's impossible to do a good job. It's eminently possible. It's just expensive and it's hard. Do you think we will see a world where people have health ratings, for lack of a better word? Yeah. I mean, cyber insurance is getting bigger. Cyber insurance is something everybody wants for the insurance oh, industry really? to be able to get into it. I didn't know it. that was, I mean, I guess Oh, yeah, no, sense. absolutely. I mean, they'd love to externalize some of the this kind of unbounded risk that they have, right? And that's what insurance is, right? If we believe that this is going to happen to everybody at some point or another, then it's just like earthquakes and fires and all kinds of other natural disasters. Acts of God. Yeah, acts of <laughs> malicious kids in basements, but whatever. You know, it's acts of somebody yeah. that you don't control and that will happen to you at some point. Cyber insurance is a really good idea. Now, what is necessary for that is a way to actually quantify risk and compare it. So that industry is working hard on it. We're working hard on it. A lot of our customers are starting to think about it. Regulators are spending a lot of time on it. There's enough energy that's being put toward that comparative risk quantification that, yeah, I do think there's going to be a lot of movement there. Why tanium? What's, what's that word? It sounds like titanium. Oh. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the real story here. There's okay. a lot of mythology around this whole thing where people think that it was like a really carefully planned name where we you know, did focus groups and whatever. Right. What actually happened was I went to buydomains.com with a bottle of wine and went through like 400 pages of domains until red, I found something. White? Was it you know, I don't remember, but I, I know I finished it. Uh, it's a very frustrating exercise, actually. It's probably one of the worst things that you have to do to start a company is go find a domain that right. you can register. That's and not taken like and not being squatted on. Yeah, and I'm really happy I did this in 2007 because today that would have been taken. So I would have had to take like, you know, some word that was like 15 characters or like spend a lot more I talked more to money. the founder of ring.com and he, spent, he said right at the beginning, he spent a million dollars on ring i hear him because you know in the end of the day you can't have a gibberish word that's 15 characters be the name of your company but yeah. 2007 was a better time on that score so we, we were able to buy it i think for those like 1500 dollars or something like that so i feel bad for the ring guy <laughs> <laughs> maybe his name's better i don't know but <laughs> you had a security company before this yeah so we started a company called big fix back in 1997 you know, really, Big Fix was formed around this idea that people, again, at their scale at that time, which was, you know, a huge company, was 10,000 computers, were not able to get basic data about what they owned and where it was. The big difference between Big Fix and Tanium, we learned a lot in the process of running that company for 10 years. So what our customers really wanted and what they weren't that interested in. But the second big lesson that we learned was we woke up 10 years later and the company that used to have 10,000 computers now had 150,000 computers. And so the solution we'd crafted that worked really well when you were at 10,000 seats was straining at 100,000 seats and really was tipping over at 200,000 seats. We really need you to solve that problem. And so that was the genesis of Tanium was us realizing that a lot of the decisions we'd made at Big Fix, we thought were safe decisions because they would give us an order of magnitude scalability over what our customers thought they had to deal with weren't sufficient and that undoing those decisions would be harder than just starting something from scratch. Big Fix was started what year? 97. How old are you? I'm 37 now. 17 is the answer to your question. <laughs> yeah. I can see you rolling your eyes up. Um, so it's, I mean, so I was, I was at Cal, I was at UC Berkeley in my first semester at Cal. 
that was the only semester I took at Cal. My mother is still furious that I have not completed uh, yeah. my undergrad degree. Are you doing is, like night classes to kind of get you? I'm 100% not doing that. <laughs> I, uh, I think that my customers and my investors would be very right. disappointed if that's what I chose to do with my time. <laughs> right. So you were at, you did Big Fix for 10 years and then you guys sold that. So we actually, we left before it was sold to IBM. David and I kind of saw this incongruity realized that it was an opportunity, installed professional management at Big Fix, and then left and started Tanium. So you started this company. From memory, this was kind of a thought experiment at the beginning, right? Yeah. What we did was we essentially told, we took a couple engineers out and sat them around a whiteboard and essentially told them, we want you to reimagine, they were all ex-Big Fix, imagine that you didn't have any assumptions to start with. And imagine that I, instead of allowing you to take days to collect a basic piece of data required that you would collect it in seconds and that instead of doing it from 100,000 computers, I needed you to do it from tens of millions of computers. What would you do? Sounds like an impossible problem, really, because what I'm asking you to do is get tens of thousands of times faster data from hundreds of times more machines. We told them, you know, you can take five years to do this. What I need you to do is build it and I want you to take enough time to do it right so that we've got enough of an advantage scalability-wise and security-wise and topology-wise that we can really have a structural advantage over the way that people are doing this today. I mean, if you look at our market today, almost everyone is still doing it the way that we did at Big Fix 20 years ago, other than Tanium. And the reason is it's really hard to change all those basic assumptions. It takes a long time. Most people don't want to do it. We ended up accomplishing what we set out to do. We can scale to tens of millions of devices. We can get data in seconds instead of days or weeks. And that's allowed our customers to unseat these really, really deep-seated technologies that they've been using for the last 20 years and replace them with a new architecture. Can you give me an idea of a typical example of, you know, you walk into big company X and what you find and why that's a problem? In most companies that we get to that are at scale, the first question we'll ask them is how many assets do you have? So how many computers? Like computers. Yeah. You know, all the things that have chips in them. I will often hear I have between 200 and 400,000. They have no idea. quite a big range. But they don't know. It's fundamentally different if you have 200 or 400,000 computers, how you manage them, but they don't know. And, you know, the analogy that one of the CIOs made to me after he admitted that he had no idea was, you know, essentially you're coming in and I'm asking you to renovate my house. You asked me how many bedrooms it has, and I said it has between two and seven bedrooms. I know that's ridiculous. But that's what they have. And then they don't know how patched they are. They don't know how many vulnerabilities they have. They don't know where their data is. They don't know where their users are. They don't know really anything. And so that manifests into a lot of really ugly situations. When a vendor comes in and says, I want you to pay me for the software you're using, if you don't know if you have 200 or 400,000 computers, you definitely don't know how many copies of their software are installed or how many are being used, which means they're going to basically tell you how much money they want you to pay them. And you're probably and you just going to pay them. It. And then on the security side, obviously, you end up in a situation where somebody announces a vulnerability and you don't know how many computers you have. You definitely don't know which ones are vulnerable. Our capability is to come in, overlay on top of that, find all the assets you didn't know you had, and then start giving you really good telemetry on what they are. Most of the big companies we walk into, the newest platforms they're using are 15 years old. The oldest are 25 years old. So you think about antivirus, you think about all these really kind of old, antiquated approaches. The funny thing about things like antivirus are the vendors of antivirus have stood up on stage and said, antivirus is dead. Most of the customers are still buying it. 
our industry, and this is back to the thesis I was saying before, our industry has not succeeded to provide our customers with what they really wanted, and this is why we started Tanium. Yeah, so I guess that's the question is, it sounds like what you're saying is that the cybersecurity industry generally is a kind of sham and or failure. Here's what I would say. If you look at the companies, especially the startups, almost nobody's making money. So we are. We're actually cash flow positive. We might be the only company in our space that's growing anywhere near our rate that's actually making money. The reason they're losing money year over year is that they're spending, in some cases, 80 or 90% of the company is sales and marketing. Fundamental development in our industry is frowned upon by many of the CEOs because really what you should be doing is going to your customers and explaining to them how you're going to automatically fix all their problems with this black box. It's just going to work. It's a snake oil industry. And our, our customers have gotten really sick of it. I talk to investors in large funds on a regular basis, and one of the only reasons that they consider investing in Tanium is because they realize we're not at our core a security company. At our core, we're a communications architecture that's both security and operations use case. The problem with security is, A, a lot of our customers don't want to buy another little solution to solve another little niche, and B, it's not a very honest industry. Do you have any sense of what percentage of a typical IT budget is security? So it really depends on the industry. Right. You know, if banking, you look at banking, example. we're seeing a growing percentage. I mean, it's definitely in double digits in a lot of the banks. Right. And most of that is just money out the window, effectively. There's this axiom of marketing that I'm wasting half of my money. I don't know which just, half. Yeah. I think a lot of them are trying to build layers upon layers and hoping something catches the bad guy. That's not a strategy. That's, that's a prayer. Right. Like what we really need to be doing as a vendor industry is building tools that work. If the tools get better, I think that we can get our customers to a better spot from that standpoint of how they're spending their money. But, and they, in many cases, have decided that they're going to replatform their environments because they're not getting efficacy out of their old stuff anymore. This is just a matter of time before we have some catastrophic bank breach. To the earlier question of whether an event will wake people up or not, but I think that feels like... That has the best chance, one of those. I am sure that we are going to have breaches in every industry every year for the foreseeable future. There's too much money that people can go get. There are lots of breaches that we don't hear about, we as the public. When you look at it from a media standpoint, there's like shock when there's breaches. When you're inside a lot of these companies, it's a fact of life. And the hope is that you can make it containable from a cost standpoint, that it's not throwing off your whole business. I talked to somebody else and he was saying that oftentimes a bank will be hacked and they'll take a bunch of money from a bunch of different people and the banks will effectively make those people whole rather Absolutely. than publicize. Absolutely. Banks, it's just like credit cards. If you have fraud, there's a process. It's cheaper and easier to make the customer whole in many cases than it is to try and go through the rigmarole of trying to reclaim the money. You just raised a boatload of money, I saw. So we raised money in May, raised it on common stock. So we had some investors who wanted to buy common stock, and we used all that money to do buybacks from our existing employees. So, I mean, one of the beauties of being a private company is that we don't have to deal with all kinds of crazy regulation. On the downside, if I've got employees who want to be able to buy a house, as an example, we are in a pretty expensive area around here. We are. So, you know, being able to have employees get liquidity, I think is really important for me to be able to do for them because many of them have been working on this for seven or eight or 10 years. And I think they deserve to be able to do that. So that secondary, we raised a hundred million dollars. It 
$3.75 billion valuation and essentially turned it over to our employees who wanted to be able to get secondary. And it's interesting because we had a lot less uptake than we thought we were going to have. You know, we've committed to our employees to try to do this once in a while. And I think many of them see a lot of promise in Tanium and right, kind of want to hold IPO. on. Many of them really believe that we're running this company as a company we care about instead of as kind of a short-term M&A target or whatever it is that we've seen a lot of our peers kind of turn their companies into. And I think they're proud of what they're part of. Right. So. And I have to ask, I saw when you raised the money, it said $100 million, $3.75 billion, despite toxic culture claims. This is in quotes. Yep. And there's these flurry of stories about this thing called apparently Orion's List. Mm-hmm. Who, which Orion has never seen, actually. This well, you've never list. seen it. I've never seen it. Yeah, feel, well, the, the allegation, of course. I feel very, very is, sad about that yeah. <laughs> because I feel like it's so salacious and I've never seen one. It sounds good. But the idea was that, you know, you were, that the company was effectively firing people before they could vest their stock and that there was uh, lots of executives leaving, et cetera. So I presume you don't agree with this idea that there's a toxic culture? No. I think that there is a very attractive meme today of tech companies that do wrong things. 2017 is the year. Yeah, I mean, it's a great way to get eyeballs on press stories. But here's what I guess I would say. We didn't lose a single customer. We didn't lose a single employee. I think the reason is our customers and our employees knew that this wasn't true. In the end of the day, people are going to write what they want to write. I'm not going to be able to stop them. And I think sometimes personally, it's annoying. I think as a growing company and assuming that we keep on having more customers come to us and assuming that we keep on you know, being more and more kind of regarded in our space, we're going to get more noise. But you know, I think this is one of the big reasons that we're spending a lot of energy hiring great executives, really strengthening the HR function within Tanium and kind of establishing and really reiterating the cultures that we think made this company great and that we want to continue and kind of drown out the noise. I don't think that there's going to be many stories about the great cultures of any tech companies at this point. It's just well, not, that's not a story, really. It's also not very clickbaity, is it? Like, I mean, right. no one's going to click on that story. So I don't expect that story. But I do expect that if we do our homework in the company to really reinforce the things that made us great, we'll be able to weather these storms easier and easier. And you guys started um, Tanium, was it 2004, you said? 2007. 2007, sorry. I'd be interested to hear especially with Uber, et cetera, this idea of culture. It's really an interesting question now because especially companies that grow quickly, it feels like if you don't have a culture anchored in at the beginning, then things can spin out of control really quickly. Look, I will agree with that 100%. If you look at the overarching culture in the Bay Area and Silicon Valley, the win at all costs, grow quickly, burn things left and right and achieve escape velocity has been so well ingrained in this culture that it's almost heresy not to agree with it. Like I still get people who tell me we're making a mistake by being cash flow positive. They've got this whole thesis about how to build a company. And I think the problem is you're absolutely right. When you build a company like that, that's full of waste, that's full of people who are self-interested in mercenary behavior, you never get rid of it. I think the best companies in our industry and I think they're really good examples of them, have built a customer-focused, mission-oriented, relentless culture that is focused on doing good things for their customers and for their employees. And that, by the way, is not pandering. It's not 
putting up with any kind of you know crazy request that's coming in, but it's really building an environment where people can do their best work and feel fulfilled by what they do. And we have a luxury in security, which is if we do it right, we can actually measurably change the world in a positive way. I fundamentally believe, we were talking about this, we both have young kids, the world my kids are going to grow up in is going to be deeply affected by whether I succeed at what we're doing here. When I look at that and I think about the employees that we have, my job is to create an environment for them where they can feel that way, where they can understand what I just said at an intimate level, and where they can achieve great work, where they can push that ball forward. The reality of the situation is a lot of people don't love it when they're told that they can't be part of something like that. I'm not really here to try and make everybody happy. I'm here to make my customers and my employees happy. I think I've succeeded in doing that to a very large extent. We'll see conflation of things that we don't think are similar like us and the Uber, but it doesn't really affect our long-term success. You guys have made a move into the UK recently. We have. We've got 60 people out there, and that's a relatively new thing. In London. I think in Reading, actually. I was in Reading. Well, I mean, look, you can sneer at me, but <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I didn't choose the office location. <laughs> I can put you in contact with the person who made that choice. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because you've got all this Brexit noise and whatever, but what we're finding is really incredible people who, from a, as we were talking about, cultural standpoint, but also from an understanding of the industry and kind of understanding of our customers, it's, I think, been a really great choice. Because it's also, I mean, particularly for what you do, that's kind of, it's kind of the financial capital of Europe. There's another thing, which is if you look at people who have the ability to choose where they want to work, I mean, the UK has been a choice that a lot of the people have made. We've got a nexus of kind of knowledge there that has been really good. Is there a, a, a market in the kind of security for, you know, high net worth individuals and executives that is apart from what you do? I mean, because I presume that if someone hacks a person of interest like that, then, you know, the stakes are very high. So Google actually just announced something that I thought was pretty interesting, which is for their Google Apps subscribers who are visible people, higher level of security that they'll offer with multi-factor authentication, with physical security tokens. And I don't think it's as much high net worth, although that's true too, but it's people in positions where they're getting a lot of very sensitive data where it's rational to treat them differently, where you end up in a situation where the cost of breaching one person's email account is very different depending on who they are. And if it's sensitive enough, then you should really treat it differently. After my um, Yahoo situation where the guy basically guessed my password, yep. I changed all my passwords. Yep. And now I spend half an hour every day redoing my passwords because I can never remember what Please don't are. tell me you're spending half an hour every day. <laughs> that's tragic. Okay, that's not okay. That's <laughs> you, not you, every you, day. You, you I need to get a journalistic license. All right. You need to get a password manager. <laughs> if it's even a tenth of that, you yeah. need to get a password manager. But if you want to talk about personal security, there are two things you should be doing that I would love to think that most people do, but I know people don't. Multi-factor. So when you've got an email account, almost every provider now allows you to have multi-factor authentication which means that you know when you type in your password it prompts you for something that your phone generates or it sends you a text message or whatever it is that's a super effective way to deal with what you were describing where somebody stole your password basically if they stole your password that's fine but they still wouldn't be able to get that token so they wouldn't be able to access your account and the other one is disk encryption so people are losing laptops they're losing devices all the time And if you use disk encryption, which is built into the operating systems today, then you can obviate the chance that somebody is going to take that device and be able to read what's on that disk. Going back to the industry, 
Do you think it has a kind of a boy who cried wolf problem? Yeah. Because I feel like everybody's just like, ooh, you know, you're screwed unless you buy our yes. antivirus. Yes, and our customers are absolutely exhausted. I mean, many customers at this point have been sold so many little point solutions that are very expensive to implement that were promised to be the silver bullet and that weren't, that they essentially have fatigue against the entire industry, which I completely understand. And this is one of the big reasons, again, that we come in through the operations angle in a lot of our customers where I can show you hard ROI before I ever talk about the security benefits. And I think we might be one of the few companies that can do that. A lot of companies will walk in and say, you'll just be a little more secure. And I think they realize at this point that after making investment after investment after investment in these little tools, they're not in a better place materially than they were when they started. And so, yeah, there is a boy who cried wolf. And, and, and as I said, there's a lot of snake oil in our industry. I understand why they're fatigued. We have very few partnerships. You know, if you look at Tanium and the technology companies that we partner with, you've got Splunk, you've got Palo Alto, you've got ServiceNow. There are a few kind of pediment architectures where I really do believe that they're doing the job they say they're going to do. We get approached probably 20 times a week by little companies that want to partner with Tanium. I'm exhausted listening to them. I can't even imagine what our customers feel. I've probably talked to a hundred AI companies, AI and machine learning. They'll take all of your data and, you know, everything's a machine find the needle today. in the haystack yes, yes. and blah, blah, blah. I've got hundreds of next gen AV companies. Like I literally think it's over a hundred where they've got some little thing that you oh, put antivirus. on. A, yeah, yeah, but it's next generation oh, antivirus. Right, right. I mean, don't lump them in with the old antivirus yeah. because if you say next generation, it's completely different, right? It's exactly the same. It's just, 10 years later and with better marketing. If I were a customer, I'd be exhausted. There is a problem, and I think that you know, as long as the VC community here wants to fund anybody who can say security and not misspell it too badly, like we've got a, a continuation of that problem, right? I mean, right. our industry has, has caused itself a lot of damage that way. I have one final question. I was getting the high sign. Sure. Um, so we can, I'll leave you to your day. My but, minder um, has given you a high <laughs> yeah, sign. Exactly. That's good. Um, and this is a bit random, but uh, cryptocurrencies, you know, there's, I think there's 700 and counting now. I mean, sure. it's all getting a bit ridiculous. But the idea that this could be a potential solution to our problems and, you know, an unhackable cryptocurrency. What do you, what do you mean unhackable? The North Koreans are making lots of money hacking machines and stealing cryptocurrency right now. It's a lot harder to steal money out of your wallet than it is for me to breach your computer and steal your wallet. Like, but this is their cryptocurrencies. This I, is <laughs> that's a great word. The reality of the situation is, if you thought we were trusting computers to be secure before, then with cryptocurrency, you as a consumer better be sure that you understand your cyber hygiene yourself. Because if somebody's able to go and get your wallet there, they have all of your money, and there's no recourse. Because once they take it, it's gone. Like you can't. Yes. Yeah. And I don't know who to call. There are lots of problems with standard currency, like government-mandated fiat currency. But one of the good things is there are laws around it, and you can actually govern it effectively, and you can actually protect it, and there are banks that hold it, and there's like all kinds of recourse there. I think blockchain's great. Everybody does. As an idea, it's an amazing idea. Practically, you are really taking your security into your own hands in a pretty fundamental way cryptocurrency you've got it on your computer anybody who can hack your computer can go and take it and there's no recourse and if you call the cops and say somebody stole it good luck finding a beat cop who's going to try and reclaim it for you great i feel great i feel 
enthused about life now now well, that we've had that i mean we haven't even talked about nuclear weapons and meteors like you could get to the even more fun stuff but no i mean look seriously like in the end of the day yes it is not a great situation we have to fight the good fight and try and make it better you know if people obsess about how much worse it's getting constantly we're going to waste a lot of energy on that instead of on improving the the, the situation yeah but as you say that's kind of a fundamental of the cybersecurity industry is to talk about how much worse it's going to get Yes, I think fear-mongering is the primary mechanism for marketing in this industry, which is one of the big problems. I think we've desensitized our customers. I feel wonderful. Thank you. Anytime. (laughs) And that is it. I leave you to your commute or whatever else it is that you may have to do. I want to thank Orion for taking the time and shedding a little light on the dodginess of the industry he has chosen, which is more than a little disconcerting. And before I go, of course, I make a plea. Go to Apple Podcasts, give a rating and review. It really does help. And as always, find me in the Sunday Times, online at thetimes.co.uk, and on Twitter, at Danny Fortson. Have a good week. See you next time. Bye-bye. 